Welcome to the Flint Citadels podcast of our Sunday morning worship service, a weekly production of the Salvation Army Flint Citadel Corps. will be intrigued to hear that uh, shopping has become our most popular weekday out-of-home entertainment now. What? No amens from the band? Hallelujah. In fact, in the United States, there are 16 and a half square feet of mall space for every man, woman, and child. It's amazing. More people visit Minnesota's Mall of America. Anybody ever been there? More people visit the Mall of America each year than Disneyland, the Grand Canyon, and the Grand Ole Opry combined. I said the Grand Old Opry, friends. You've been there, right? Sure. Well, it's no longer even necessary to fight through crowds at the mall. As you know, uh, you don't even have to pick up a catalog. Today, all that's needed to, quote-unquote, shop till you drop is to get out your credit card and a telephone and, and access the home shopping network or, or maybe bid even day and night on eBay. 
Well, interestingly, the average American shops six hours a week, but spends only about 40 minutes playing with his or her children. That's kind of sad. And by the age of 20, the average television viewer has seen one million commercials on television. That's a lot. And recently, more Americans declared bankruptcy than graduated from college. In 90% of divorce cases, arguments about money play a very prominent role in that split up. Well, something's going on in our society. Something's going very wrong in our hearts. It's something that's plagued man since, well, the fall of Adam. And that something is greed. It's on my hope and it's the hope of many that God will help us escape greed's sort of smothering grasp. Let's pray. Fathers, we are here before you today. We know that your presence is here with us. We can feel you here, Lord. Soften our hearts. Allow us to be entwined in your message this morning that we might recognize that our, our very nature lends us toward greed and to self-sustenance. And Yet your scripture tells us over and over that you stand before us. You led the children of Israel out of bondage with a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire by, by night. Help us to know that we can follow you and that you will be behind us and, and supporting us and when we can't seem to find that path, Lord, put our feet on solid rock and help us to know that you are there. Be with us now as we worship together. For it's in your name that we ask these things. Amen.
us examine three biblical financial principles about spending and our behavior as consumers. These principles deal with focusing on God, a living a lifestyle of moderation and contentment. Beware of idols. Yet, since the beginning of time, we have wrestled with the temptation to replace God with things. In New Testament times, in Romans 1.25, the Apostle Paul described the wicked like this. Today, that worship of creating things is called materialism. It is a competing theology that makes idols of material possessions. The second principle is to guard against greed. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, Beware, don't be greedy for what you don't have. Real life is not measured by how much we own. In contrast to greed, the Bible calls us to seek moderation. Proverbs 38 says, The third principle is to be content. In Philippians 4.12, Paul explains that he has learned to be content in all circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether welfare or hunger, whether living in plenty or in want. Good morning. It's nice to see you today. We're going to sing the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and we'll sing it all the way through. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. With so many things that go on in our lives, sometimes we forget that God is in control, and he's faithful to us, and he will take care of us.
In the 1860s, William Booth responded to a vision given to him by God to preach the gospel to struggling individuals in the East End of London, a vision that eventually became the Salvation Army, now found in 115 countries of the world. As William and Catherine Booth developed a passion for souls, they discovered that human needs must be met if people were to respond to the gospel. That passion came directly from God. In Isaiah, the 59th chapter, starting at verse 15, we are told, The Lord looked and was displeased to find that there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So he himself stepped in to save them with his mighty power and justice. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with the robes of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. God has given the Salvation Army a vision to meet the needs of thousands of struggling families here in Genesee County. However, God needs each of us, each of us, to be his hands and feet to fulfill this vision in order to build a choice pantry and food distribution center on Coldwater Road in the Beecher Core site. Bill Kerr, president of the Food Bank of Eastern Michigan, tells us that when this facility is up and running, we will increase the food distribution in Genesee County by 100%. That is awesome. Three weeks from last night on November 29th, our annual Thanksgiving concert will focus on this fight against hunger. We are asking each of you to come and be a part of that great audience at the wedding. It's free. That ought to invite a lot of people but also for you to invite family, friends, classmates, and neighbors to join with us at the Whiting Auditorium for this free concert. While admission to the concert is free, tickets are required by the Whiting Administration. For those individuals that will be able to attend this special event, our core office has tickets. Hank Heidel, right back here. Hank, thank you. Core treasurer, and myself, we have tickets. Tickets are also available at the Whiting Ticket Center. This very short musical selection we are going to share with you this morning will be played at the concert following a free will offering to f help fight against hunger. This high energy piece of music represents the fire and passion that God wants each of us to have in our hearts and souls in order to make a difference in the lives of thousands of struggling families in Genesee County. Thank you. 
I share the message, I need Mark York to come back up here. Come here, Mark. I don't know if, uh, if you're aware of the fact that Mark has expressed an interest in becoming a Salvation Army officer. And um, as a part of that process, uh, Mark has joined the fellow officers, the fellowship of, what is it called? Fellow Officers Fellowship. Future yeah, officers yeah. FFA, FOF, yeah. yeah. FOF, Mark's joined FOF. And um, as a part of that, he gets a neat pin that I want to give him. And I want to read to you the letter that was sent to Mark from the Territorial Candidate and Recruitment Secretaries, the uh, Majors Miller. It says, It is a very special privilege for us to welcome you into the Future Officers Fellowship of the Central Territory. We are very encouraged by your desire to follow God's will for your life and thank God for your sensitivity to his call. Your future will be an exciting time as God reveals more of his purpose for you in his kingdom. Stay close to him in your personal devotions and get as involved in your core as you can to start your ministry preparations and experience today, which Mark is doing. We would challenge you to take advantage of every program, class, and activity right now that will help you in your development as an officer. Above all, take this time to strengthen your relationship with God. Draw close to him every day, and he will draw close to you. We trust that you will find the enclosed book, the other thing he's getting, the call of a lifetime. Um, be assured we have your prayer support. You have our prayer support as you continue to seek God's will for your life. I'm wondering, are there any other young people here who have expressed an interest in officership? If you have, would you stand up? Who else here? Are they all out? How about any not-so-young people? <laughs> Looks like it's just you, Mark, right now. But if you want to get a nifty book and a pin, um, you too can consider becoming an officer. Um, but let's support Mark in prayer and uh, encourage him, and perhaps God will speak to your heart as well as he has spoken to Mark's. Let's give him a hand. Mark, God I bless you. There, I thought you were going to call me to give an impromptu message. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mark said he was worried about an impromptu message he might have to give. How, um, how many of you would like more money? A lot more money. Who would like more money? Yeah, okay. You know, a recent study reveals that about 80% of Americans feel that way. They would like more money. They would like a lot more money. A second question. How many of you think that greed is a sin? Who thinks greed is a sin? Okay. Well, that same study found that 86% of Americans say that greed is indeed a sin. So there's this unusual dynamic here that while most people agree that greed is wrong, they still want a lot more money. Robert Wutnell, a sociologist at Princeton, says that according to his research, there is actually little, little difference between the... Um, people inside the church and people outside the church when it comes to financial behavior. You see, greed comes right in to the church. And today we want to see what Jesus really taught 
about greed. So please open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Did you know that Jesus said more about money than almost any other topic in the New Testament? The only topic that Jesus talked about more than money was the kingdom of God. So just below the kingdom of God in the order of importance in Jesus' mind was money. That's how important Jesus thought it was. In fact, of the 30-some parables that Jesus told, 16 of them dealt directly with money. Here are a few of, um, of Jesus' statements about money. He said, Woe to you who are rich. You cannot serve God and riches. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. He also said, Take heed and beware of all greed and give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes away your goods, don't ask for them again. Over and over, Jesus warns us about the dangers of greed and he instructs his followers to be generous. To be generous. Scripture teaches that we are responsible before God for the way that we live with our money and with our material possessions. Now, if that makes you a little uncomfortable, it probably should. Us Americans uh, probably should because in our country, even the poor are rich by the world's standards. And sometimes we Christians are guilty of using our faith to justify our greed. Uh, you probably see some of those uh, prosperity preachers on, on TV who are very, very good at that. Uh, Robert Wutnell echoes that danger when he says that sometimes people use their faith to simply make themselves feel good about the financial choices they've already made. So part of the challenge that Jesus issues to us to keep us from rationalizing how we handle our money is to think seriously about the fact that there is a master of this universe. And his name is God. And he has a rival. There's a, there's a rival for that throne and that position. And it's called money. And we have to choose which one we're going to serve. Jesus says in the Matthew 6 passage, beginning with the 19th verse, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is talking here about uh, what you build your life around, what you invest your life in, what you think is going to pay off. He says, don't build your life around stuff because stuff, material things, they're very vulnerable. For example, he says, moths are going to get some of it. Cotton may be the fabric of our lives, but one day, moths are going to end up eating it. So don't invest your life in what one day will be eaten by moths. He says, uh, some of your other stuff, it's going to rust. 
Some of your cars are probably uh, already halfway there. In essence, Jesus is saying we are eternal people, but in a thousand years the car you're driving is going to be just a pile of rust. It won't matter if you've got BMW rust or if you've got Chevy rust or if you've got Ford rust. It will still be rust. It will be worth nothing. You see, the stuff of this life, of this world, is vulnerable. It wears out. So don't build your life around it. Instead, Jesus says, store up treasure where? In heaven. Store up treasure in heaven. That's what, um, what he's getting at is something he says over and over in the scriptures. Seek first the kingdom of God. Do what the guy did who discovered that pearl of great price. Because um, that pearl of great price, that's the kingdom of God. Sell everything. Jettison everything. Devote yourself wholly to possessing life in the kingdom. That's what it means to store up treasure in heaven. Then he says, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. Wherever your life's investment goes, there your heart, the center of your being, your soul, goes as well. Let me give you two questions that can serve as a diagnostic for your heart. Two very practical questions to help you discern whether your heart is exactly where your heart is on this matter. The first one is this. Am I giving more than I was a year ago? Am I more generous now than I was a year ago? Now, um, some of you maybe have less than you had a year ago because of our economy, but all things being equal, are you giving more? Are you more generous today than you were last year? The second question is closely related. And it's this, do I have a bigger heart to give than I had a year ago? Do I have a bigger heart because I see the difference between life in this world apart from God and life in the kingdom of God? I understand more fully what this kingdom life is all about. You see, life in the world apart from God is primarily preoccupied with a standard of living while life in the kingdom is preoccupied with increasing your standard of giving in the world which we live if if you allow yourself to be shaped by it success is defined in terms of your standard of living not your standard of giving so are you spending more on yourself than you were a year ago? That's how the world would measure success. John Wesley, the great um, Methodist founder, had three principles about giving and storing treasure. The first principle he said is, earn all you can. Some people have a, a great gift for creating wealth, for earning money. And sometimes people feel guilty about that. Feel, people feel guilty about their success, about their earning power. But Wesley said, if you are a follower of Christ, the first rule is earn all you can. Wesley's second rule is this. Save all you can. 
Get on a budget like we talked about a, a couple weeks ago. Be wise with your money. Saving is a good thing. Do you know what the third rule is? Give all you can. That's right. Give all you can. Many Christians kind of take a pass on this one because they decide, hey, two out of three ain't bad. So the capacity to earn money is a wonderful thing. Saving money and being wise with your money is a wise and wonderful thing. But it is when you give that you truly reflect the heart of God because God is a generous and a giving God. Look at verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? These two verses always seem kind of out of place to me, out of context when I would read this passage. So I just kind of uh, gloss over them and go, yeah, that, that's kind of cool, but I, I really don't see what that has to do with money, what that has to do with anything else you're talking about here, Lord. But you know, you know what I've learned? The eye as the lamp of the body is a metaphor that gives us a, um, a very important insight into Jesus' understanding of our human nature. This metaphor has to do with our perception. How we view the world around us is, is primarily through our vision, through our eyes. Our ability to have clear insight or clear vision is very important. When our daughter Rebecca was born, she was for all intents and purposes blind. She was born with dense cataracts on her eyes and couldn't see anything. Her perception of the world was darkness. If she hadn't had a couple of surgeries, that darkness would have controlled her life. It would have uh, informed her about what the world around her was like. How she responded to the world around her would have been dictated by that poor vision, by that darkness. The basic principle involved here is that your actions flow out of your perceptions. If, for instance, when you look at a poor person, if you think about them um, as Jesus thought about them, if you feel about them the way Jesus felt towards them, then you're going to find yourself behaving towards them as Jesus behaved towards them. If your eye is good, if you perceive things the way Jesus does, then your body will be filled with light and you will walk in that light. You'll do good things. You'll do what Jesus did. But if your eye is bad or evil, if you look through lenses of greed or cynicism or envy, then your body will be full of darkness. You will walk in darkness and you will find yourself doing greedy and selfish things. The way we view life and reality, that mental map that determines our perspective on life, and from that perspective, flow our actions. So if your view of money is skewed, then so is your worldview, how you look at the world. And so will be the actions that flow from that view. Think of it this way. You're driving around and you notice that 
uh, behind you, look in your rearview mirror, and there's a police car right behind you. What's the first thing you do? You look at your speedometer to make sure you're not speeding. If, um, if you see a squad car behind you, how, how do you drive? Do you drive differently? Do you drive the way you usually do? You know, you, you kind of adjust your, your driving habits uh, a little bit to make sure you're conforming with the law. Okay, now let's suppose that the police department assigns an officer to shadow you all day long. His only job is to drive behind you every time you get into your car. How many of you would change your driving habits? You know, I think probably most of us would, would probably modify our driving habits, not running them yellow lights, not um, uh, driving a little over the speed limit. Well, one of Jesus' teachings is that God is always with us, isn't it? God is always present, always watching us. Do you believe that? Do you? Major believes it. Well, let's suppose that God were to come down again in, in bodily form like he did in Jesus so that, that we could see him and um, he could be with us all day long. He could watch us and we could watch him watch us. We could see on his face his perceptions of everything that we did. How many of you would um, maybe live your life a little differently? Maybe when, uh, you know, Jesus kind of winced, like, I can't believe you said that, or what are you thinking, you know? This takes us right to the heart of the matter. Do you believe that God is always with you? He's always present? That he's always watching not only what you do, but what you think, what you say? You know, I think on one level we'd all say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. That's a part of my creed. I was taught that from, from the time I was a child. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I believe God's always with us. But, you know, there's another level at which most of us find that we really, really don't believe God is always with us. Just look at how we behave. Our behavior indicates that there are times when we don't really view the world through the lens that tells us God is always with us. Because if we did, if we fully trusted this was true, then our lives might look uh, a little different than they do. And our standards of giving might look different as well. That's why growing in faith is so critically important. To grow in faith doesn't simply mean to affirm the right things, to memorize the right scriptures, to know the right doctrines, to be able to argue our beliefs, though those things are all important. But more than this, it means to begin to look at the world around us and see, see it and think about it the way that Jesus sees the world and thinks about it. When you do that, when you begin to perceive the world as Jesus did, then your eye is clear and your life is full of light and you live the way Jesus lived. It's reflexive. You don't even have to think about it. It just begins to flow out of you. You see what I'm saying? If the eye of the body is good, 
if you begin to have the same mental map that Jesus had, if you begin to have the same confidence that God is always with you, that same confidence that Jesus had, then you will walk in the light. One of the reasons Jesus teaches so much about money is because money has a powerful way of revealing where our trust is. If you want to find out what someone really trusts in, the best way isn't to ask him, what do you believe? Or what do you trust in? That's not the best way. The best way is to look at their life. And if you look at their life closely enough over time, you can discern pretty much exactly what it is that they're really trusting in and what it is that they really value. Money is a wonderful diagnostic gauge for this. So Jesus cuts to the quick in verse 24 when he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus gives us a challenge here, doesn't he? Jesus says that every day God longs to be your God. But every day wealth, riches, money, possessions long to be your God as well, with a little g. They want to be your God. So every day we need to find a way to tell money, you're not my master. You're not on the throne. You can't be the God of my life. And I think for most of us, we need to find some practical way to do this every day. Richard Foster writes, Not long ago we had a swing set that our children no longer used, so we decided to sell it at a garage sale. My next decision was what price to put on it. I went out into the backyard and I looked it over. It should bring a good price, I thought to myself. In fact, if I touch up the paint just a bit, I could up the ante some. And if I fix the seat on the glider, I could charge even more. Now notice, these weren't things that he did when his kids were using the swing set. It was when he decided to sell it that he started thinking, man, it could bring more money if I just make a few little changes here. All of a sudden, he writes, I began to monitor a spirit of covetous, covetousness within me. And I became aware of how really dangerous it was spiritually. I went into the house and rather tentatively asked my wife, Carolyn, if she would mind if we gave the swing set away rather than selling it. Not at all, she quickly responded. I thought to myself, rats. <laughs> but before the day was out, we found a couple of young children who could make good use of it. We gave it to them and I didn't even have to paint it. The simple act of giving crucified the greed that had gripped my heart and the power of money was broken for the time being. Please note this. If you have a pen and paper, write it down. Every time a follower of Christ gives, he or she profanes something the world holds sacred, money. Foster says, it would do us good to find ways to defame it, defile it, and trample it under our feet. Step on it, yell at it. You might want to do this in private because 
It'll look a little strange if people see you doing it. Laugh at it, he says. List it way down on the scale of values, far below friendship and engaging in the most profane act of all, give it away. The powers that energize money cannot abide that most unnatural of acts, giving. I challenge you today to begin to break the grip that greed has by finding a way to dethrone money each day by simple acts of generosity. Here's what Jesus is getting at. There's an odd thing that happens to us. What you think you possess ends up possessing you. As Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Matthew 6.24 No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So don't worry about storing up treasures for yourself here on earth. If your 401k and your investments have plummeted and are worth half what they were, rejoice because it's happening to everybody. Instead, store up treasure in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this morning I ask you, do you have a clear eye? Is your eye clear? Are you perceiving the world the way Jesus perceives the world? Where is your treasure? You can run that diagnostic yourself. Where is your treasure? And really, which master do you serve? And finally, how are you going to break the power of money and greed by giving it away? I challenge you to find, it doesn't have to be giving, you don't have to go hand out $20 bills on the street, but you can find a way every day to give something away, to be generous, and in doing so you can break the power that money has over you. And who knows, God may open up those windows of heaven and uh, understand that you know how to use money and may bless you abundantly. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that um, you come to us in a way that turns our world upside down. Lord, we're, we're raised to think one way and we buy into it and then you come along, Lord, and you just shake everything up and, and tell us that, no, that's really not important. Here's what's important. Lord, I, I pray that in the aspect of stewardship that we would understand that, that really it is a key to our relationship with you. It's not just a way to to wring more money out of people for this church, for any church. But Lord, it is um, an integral part of being a member of your kingdom and that in fact, by being a good steward, Lord, you, you make us more like you. So God, I do pray that you would help us to re-examine and to see that um, you call us to be an offering. Not just our money, but all that we have, all that we are, because Lord, we acknowledge it all comes from you. So Lord, this morning, challenge us Help us not to, um, to, to forget this, to forget what you've said, to forget the importance that you place on how we handle our money and our possessions. And Lord, might you liberate us from the bondage that, um, that they bring into our lives.
Help us to simplify. Help us to trust you. Help us to be generous. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are um, some song sheets towards the center of your pews. We're going to try something interesting, which is singing a song with a track that's going to start as soon as the next slide clicks up. So um, once it starts, there is no stopping. And uh, this is a fairly new song. So um, for those of you, do any of the band members know how to read music? Give it to um, people in the band. They can read music. And, and uh, maybe share that around. This song says, We lift our voices, we lift our hands, we lift our lives up to you. We are an offering. It's about far more than your money. I'm going to invite you to stand and let's see what happens. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are always here for us. And um, as we leave today, I pray that you help us to remember to be generous because everything we have is because of you and to make our hearts bigger so that we have a heart to give. This has been the weekly podcast of the Flint Citadel's Morning Worship Experience. We hope you were blessed. 
Join us again for next week's service. Better yet, join us in person anytime at the Citadel, located in the heart of downtown Flint at 211 West Kersley Street, where you're always among friends. For more information about the Salvation Army in Flint and our worship times and weekly activities, visit us online at www.flintcitadel.org or call us at area code 810-232-2199. Thanks for listening.